This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. The mock movie poster is making the rounds on social media that has Amanda Todd, among other celebrities who have killed themselves. The images. The image is entitled Suicide Squad. Uh, the post has got Carol Todd, who of course is Amanda's mother, speaking out against all of this, saying it uh, ridicules her daughter's death and perpetuates misconceptions about suicide. Of course, 15-year-old Amanda Todd, Port Coquitlam, British Columbia, took her own life October of 2012 after intense cyberbullying and of course uh, was drawn and has drawn global attention uh, through the uh, fabulous YouTube video uh, which was posted about how she was relentlessly harassed. To talk more about all of this, Carol Todd is with us, mother of Amanda Todd, and she's on the air with us now. Hello, Carol. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Carol, talk about how this is an ongoing battle for you. Is this something that you have to deal with on a daily basis? Are you constantly on the lookout for people who are misrepresenting your daughter's image or likeness or any sort of relation to this story? Unfortunately, I have to say yes, only because, I mean, if if my daughter's image and her story is used in a positive way that can encourage change, then I'm 100% for that. But when it comes to her image and story being used in a detrimental way, um, I have to stand up and I have to do something about it. Um, I've got, I mean, it's been almost four years since her death, and... I've traveled across the country, and um, there are p- other people that I have met in my past or that are on my social media that continually watch for these things. And, and so all I can say is that it, it, her death has created so much awareness, so much more knowledge that um, that's the good part. I mean, if there, is a, if there is a silver lining to this tragic story, that would be it, that people are more um, cognizant of what we need to talk about. And I go around talking about talking to kids and parents about being that um, positive bystander, that upstander that that talks, discusses, provides awareness. And so this is all part of it. How does that make you feel? How does that help you cope with the loss uh, of your daughter? Um, Obviously, any parent we just can't imagine the tragedy that you must that you must have gone through. But on the other hand, something so positive has come out of this. It actually, according to my therapist, it it, it drives me. It actually is a part of my healing process to be able to do something um, to evoke change. Uh, I don't know if if and and we we'll never know that if this wasn't possible how I would be feeling on a day-to-day basis. I've talked to many parents who have lost um, their children in in various ways, and um, it's truly heartbreaking when I hear the stories um, about how, you know, we miss our children every day, and we think about our children nonstop every day. But out in that real world, we have to, we can't, we can't, show it all the time people get upset with us people tell us to get over it Mm. um and that's heartbreaking right so um i am so fortunate that and and you know what i think amanda started this i mean she created that youtube video to chronicle what she went through she didn't have to she did it um and and there's a misconception that she did it to um as a as a farewell note but she actually did it to just to tell her story but I truly think that if she hadn't done it, I wouldn't be talking to you right now because she would have just become another child, another statistic. But because she put it out there and now there's, you know, a, a, a fellow that allegedly um, was part of her extortion and cyber harassment and he's sitting in jail waiting trial, um, all that has just continued to rise. And But for me, that's, that's an okay thing because it, it's created that base of people working on cyber abuse, about mental health, about um, addictions, about extortion, all those things. How do you describe the incredible response to this video? To her yes. response to, to her to YouTube, video? yeah. I'm amazed. I'm amazed at how far it it has traveled, how it goes. I think we've, um, 
we've counted, we've tried to count all the views from various sources, and there's about 39 million views of her YouTube video. Mm. And, and I get comments all the time on the YouTube channel that it's posted on. And um, I'm, I'm truly amazed. And, and just to tell a short, short story, um, a couple weeks ago I was in Redmond, Washington at a Microsoft Imagine Cup competition. And um, Imagine Cup is a bunch of university students who create an application to further world citizenship or innovations, right? And about a month before the competition, I got an email from a team in Greece, four university students, same age as my son, and they had created an application to um, assess uh, bullying and empathy, and it was it was quite, it was like, wow. Hmm. Anyways, they wanted my support, they wanted me to go through it, and um, I did, and I was quite amazed. And, and the thing is that they named it Amanda. Hmm. Because they had heard her story oh and they my. needed to do something to further it. And so um, we tried to arrange a meeting and these kids actually got a negative reply from Microsoft. And But I contacted Microsoft and they arranged a surprise meeting for me and the team um, a couple weeks ago. And it was just like one of those moments where everyone's crying. And that's the positive part oh. of it, right? These kids are from Greece. They're young adults. They wanted to do something positive and make a change, and they did. And so that that was just like holy cow. That's a tremendous story. Mm-hmm. How did you how did you stumble on this post in in, in this latest image where where Amanda's image is being used? How did you stumble across it? How did it make you feel? Um, someone actually sent it to me, um, and funny enough, after the first person sent it to me, I, I received 10 more messages of other people sending it to me. And, and I know that by putting it out there in the public, it's going to create other um, trolls and people with negative behaviors to cre- rec- recreate and do things. Um, I, was, I was stunned. I was... Um, what do you think the purpose think of this? What do you think the purpose of this is for? What, what, why do you think this is done? Negative, because any behavior, any attention is attention, and yeah. these people who are doing these things want to gain the ire of people, right? Even if it's negative, it's attention to them, mm. and um, they thrive on it, and that's why it keeps going. And then Amanda's not the only, you know, person to. I mean, there's tons of memes out there, yeah. and and but what I what I've said is that it's actually a form of harassment, right? And we talk about cyber abuse and how it makes us feel. And um, seeing my, my daughter, and, and I'm not even sure how, you know, she, he, the image depicts Kurt Cobain and Robin Williams and a bunch of other people. And I can't even imagine how those people feel. I know that I was looking at Zelda Williams' um, Twitter and she's gone offline for a while just because her father's, the anniversary of her father's death is coming up, right? Mm-hmm. And you need those moments, but you don't need those moments um, being re-victimized again by something so horrid. I mean, I did, and when I first posted that on my Facebook wall, because I'm all about getting, I want other people to see what happens out there, right? And it's a form of discussion. It's not that I just, I want to bring attention to all this stuff. Um, and I did get comments about just ignore it, just, but you know what, with Amanda's case, she was told to ignore it, go offline, mm. and, and that didn't help. So I don't, I'm using the opposite effect to make sure that we're aware. And so I know that some of them have come down, but really the, the purpose is just to create discussions. And I've gotten messages on my Facebook wall from um, mothers who said, I showed this to my young my, my young teenager and I we talked about this and he's talked to his friends and they think it's horrible and that's that's the main purpose right to, to make sure that people understand that these things are out there and these things are horrid you can choose to ignore it um, or you can choose to talk about it so um, is it a positive that the poster is there or is it a positive that it has bothered enough people that it has opened a different discussion it's positive that it's out there and it bothers people and it opens discussions. Um, it, it, maybe my mind just thinks a little differently um, because I've been, 
I mean, I've, I've had my share of people trolling me, telling me that um, I'm doing this for fame and fortune, that um, seriously, hor- I was a horrid mother, um, I should have just taken her off the internet and she'd be alive. Oh, yeah, it's gone on for since she, she passed away, right? So I guess I've become a little um, desensitized to, to that stuff, which is why I can um, be a voice. For it, but I've had many a thank you from thank yous from other um, parents and individuals saying thank you for being the voice because I don't know if I could if I was going through something like you. You know, it's one thing to you know to 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 cope with the loss of a child, but how do you mm-hmm. handle the criticism that that somebody is judging you on what you did or didn't do at this point? Oh, I know, I know, and and you know what it. it it, I really feel that sometimes, like, Amanda put me in this place because that's what she went through. And mm. now I, I truly understand what happened to her and how she felt, right? But I'm an adult, and I've had many years of adult experience where she was a young child, and she didn't have those years of experience to build up some strength and resiliency. Um, and I have a great support circle, too, to um, to vent. And, and, you know, initially when I saw that, that first meme poster and I posted it on my Facebook wall and I, I didn't even know that there was a movie called The Suicide Squad or that it was a comic book based in the 50s, which mm. is why I put down like who would name something like this. But the movie is totally in, it's not, it's not about the actual, like the suicides that, that people have taken because of mental health. It, it, it's uh, you know a fictionalized superhero yeah. comic book, and as I said, my kid would my kids my son is going to see the movie right. Mm-hmm. Um, so people get mis they misinterpret when they say I'm never going to see this movie. This is terrible. But the movie and the poster the meme posters are totally two separate things. What message do you have for people who spe- who you speak to and and who talk with you? What central message do you have out of all of this over the years? Um, I think my main one has come about that um, everyone needs to have a circle of uh, a support circle with trusting people that they can talk to because when you start internalizing negative things that happen to you um, and there's nowhere to to vent it it truly goes deep into your soul, right? Um, another thing is, you know, you can dwell on something or you can deal with something, and I know that's hard, but that's where your support circle can come into play. And um, with with families and young people, it's about um, showing some learning about empathy, learning about how to be compassionate, um, respect, and um, basically being safe online. Don't put something on there that you wouldn't necessarily say to someone in your face. Think about if you received that message and how you would feel. Are these people who would post such things as this poster, are they as bad as the people who bullied Amanda? Negative behavior is negative behavior. I think that if it doesn't matter if it comes face-to-face, online, um, anonymously, it's all negative behavior. And and that's the kind of behavior that we need to change um, because when the world starts filling with negative behavior, you get um, tragic events and traumatic stories. And it's just like World War, right? It's all on based on some negative behavior. People people don't get along or they have a difference in opinion. And there are ways to settle differences in opinion, right? But when you, when you victimize and you hurt people to the point where they want to end their life, that is so wrong. And, and you keep on going. So for Amanda... You know, she she made mistakes. She realized them, but um, actually, her her real life bullies kept it going for eight months after the fact, and that's what she couldn't understand. Is she told me, you know, mom, why can't they just move on and stop harassing me? And so mm. that was hard on her. My goodness. Um, wh- if people want to follow you, Carol, or, or or find out more about what you're up to, where do we go? Website, Facebook page. What where, where do we go? Um, there's a website, amandatodlegacy.org, and that, that website leads you to our Facebook, to our Twitter, to our Instagram. Um, we try and keep it as up-to-date as we can. Um, things just keep happening. If I, if I knew four years ago what was going to happen, how it was going to, 
to um, continue to build awareness, um, I would have said, no way, this isn't going to happen. But um, I'm just I'm just amazed. But if, if people want to take Amanda's story and use it for discussions for the positive, um, that that is 100% okay with me. Carol Todd has been with us, mother of Amanda Todd, of course, uh, defending her daughter's image being used in a post uh, online right now. And again, uh, tirelessly advocates for people who, uh, and of course, uh, cyberbullying and the the do's and don'ts of such a uh, platform. Uh, Carol, in case not enough people say it, I will from everybody here. Thank you very much for everything that you have done. You are welcome, and I love all the support. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Ontario Steel Investments Limited has announced that it has, uh, that it has, uh, I guess, offered a deal for U.S. Steel, the company assuming the former Stelco pension plan in totality and a commitment to provide substantial post-employment benefits. To talk more about all of this, Ian Lee is with us, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University, and is on the line now. Hello, Ian. How are you today? Uh, good afternoon. Just doing fine. Thanks for taking the time. We appreciate this. Your thoughts on this uh, latest offer coming out of U.S. Steel and whether this his legs or not? Um, I thought it was utterly, utterly bizarre. And, and I realize there's, you know, listeners in your area that are, I'm sure, really hoping this comes through. And I'm not suggesting it's not coming through. So let me explain why it is so bizarre. The world steel industry, and this has been widely, widely reported, is a mess. There's massive overproduction of steel in the world, driven principally by China. And China's been dumping steel In fact, the European Union held legal hearings for months upon months and determined empirically, conclusively, they were dumping and they've assessed penalties. Likewise, the United States. So there's no question about this. And many steel uh, companies are losing money, and some, as we know, have gone bankrupt. So this company is not only proposing to uh, absorb all the pension liabilities, but they're promising wonderful things in the future. I mean, you know, it's, they're promising the moon, the star, the skies, and everything in between. And I'm saying, you know, the facts of the steel industry do not square or add up to what this company is proposing. Now, that leaves means one of two things. Either they're just making the whole thing up, and I don't believe that. I'm not suggesting that. Or they, in turn, the, the company making the proposal, have received promises behind the scenes from governments to back them up and save them harmless for their investments. Is this another deal that everybody will be going to court for five or ten years ago trying to get opened up just like the last one? It depends. Uh, I, I think, I don't have any evidence for this. I want to put that right out there so nobody can you know, suggest I'm misleading anyone. I'm saying the offer is too good to be true, hmm. given the steel industry. However, there is apparently an offer that is really unbelievably, remarkably good. And it doesn't make sense in terms of the world steel industry and conditions, which are a mess and a disaster everywhere. So that tells me, suggests to me, that this company, this steel company, is getting backstopped by someone else with hmm. deeper pockets. Who might that be? Well, that might be the government of Ontario. That might be the government of Canada. And I suspect I see the fine hand of uh, politicians in this. Uh, they may be providing some kind of support, whether it's loan guarantees or actual investments, a la Bombardier, where they take a minority share in the company and inject it. I don't know. I'm speculating. But I do know this. The offer is too good to be true. The world steel conditions, world steel industry is a disaster, as we all know. It's been widely said that there's about 50, upwards of 50% overproduction in the world um, industry of steel. I've seen one uh, estimate that says the entire European output should shut down or the equivalent of the entire European Union output should be uh, closed because we're making way, way, way too much steel for world demand conditions. So this company is making this remarkable offer, and it is truly remarkable. You would think it was Google buying the latest, fastest-growing high-tech company going out there, and it's not. It's a steel company offering to buy another steel company, and they're giving what could only I can only characterize as extravagant promises. And either those promises are nonsense, and they're not true, or they are accurate, 
because behind the scenes, somebody is back backing them up, back stopping them. And the only people I can come up with that would do that would be the government of Canada and the government of Ontario, a la Bombardier. Is that what happened with this initial U.S. steel deal when it went down many years ago? And my second question, or part to that question, why accept these deals if then you're going to spend so much money and time going to court to have them all ripped open so everyone can see what was there in the first place? Well, I will even go, sorry, let me go one step further, and I'm writing a paper right now on this, and it's about the auto industry, actually, but it's the same concept, the same principle. Should we be backing industries and companies that are in structural, long-term, permanent decline? And, you know, it's one thing to say we're helping a fledgling company and a fledgling industry, which is the argument for renewables and uh, solar and that sort of thing. And the argument is, well, look, yeah, they're not doing that so well today, but this is the future, and they're going to do a lot better in the future. So we're just helping them get on their feet, like a young child learning how to walk. Hmm. But we're not talking about that when we talk about the steel industry, or for that matter, automotive manufacturing. And so I raised the same questions that were raised by some people in 2009 when we bailed out um, um, uh, General Motors and uh, Chrysler. Many people said, well, we're, we're doomed if we don't bail out because the industry will fail. The industry was not failing in 2009. GM and Chrysler were failing. Honda was doing very well, thank you very much. So was Toyota. So was Volkswagen and a whole scat of other companies. And the idea that the auto industry was going to vanish from the planet Earth if GM and Chrysler failed was nonsense then, and it's nonsense today. The question I'm raising, though, about this is should government be squandering scarce resources because government has a limited amount of resources too they may be a lot but they're still limited they're finite and and there's so many demands on government healthcare i mean healthcare system is growing uh, going through the roof it's growing so rapidly because of the legitimate demands of citizens across the country should we be in an in manufacturing which is down to 12% of gdp by the way you know we've got this fetish to use andrew coin's famous phrase with this fetish for manufacturing, hmm. and they're a smaller and smaller and smaller part of our economy. The vast majority of us work in services sector, broadcasting, teaching, healthcare, banking, consulting, retailing, real estate. The vast majority of us work there. And manufacturing has been in 40 years of decline. It's gone from 30% of GDP down to about 12%, and we are seeing failures well, in manufacturing. And so my question is, this is related to that. Why are we squandering and pouring mil hundreds of millions and even billions of dollars down the rabbit hole for them to eventually fail down the road? And, of course, uh, the union wants everything thrown into court to find out what exactly, what sort of deal was done in order to make this all happen. And, and they were as excited about that one as they were this one. Exactly. So why do these deals and then complain to the government that you, there's some sort of secret thing going on when all right. we find out at the end is that, well, the government gave them lots of money to support yeah. these jobs, yeah. and, 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 and then it, 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 it runs afoul. I mean, why support these deals if you're going to fight them later down the road? Well, I think the unions are doing it as distinct from government. Let's, let's distinguish between these two entities. Uh, the unions are doing it because it's a strategy. It's a, it's a negotiating leverage strategy. They're trying to leverage and, and put pressure on the government whether federal or um, uh, provincial, to come up with money to put into the company to save the company to save the union jobs. I mean, that's their, that's their motivation. And government is doing it not for a completely different motivation, but these are votes. Mm -hmm. And uh, angry people vote. We see this with Donald Trump and his supporters, the people that have lost jobs because of industry restructuring, because of globalization and so forth. And uh, so industry, so governments, um, I mean, uh, when it comes to saying no, governments are terrible. And the public, that's my biggest criticism I tell my students of the, of the public sector writ large. They've, it's very difficult for people in the public sector who make decisions to sp speak the most difficult and the shortest word in the English language. No. <laughs> no, I won't. I said it's like being a professor. Students lobby you all the time to raise their grades. And to be a good professor, you have to say, no, you don't warrant a, a grade increase because that you deserve to be, and that's why you've got to be. My consequences for me as a professor are very small in the grand scheme of things. But when governments are spending our taxpayer dollars, and we're not talking trivial amounts, we're talking monies that run into the billions of dollars. These are monies, 
everyone says, oh, it's a great thing. But these are monies that are not going into health care. These are monies that are not going into roads or into mass transit and infrastructure. Because governments have finite amounts of resources, just like everybody else. It's just the governments are much, much bigger. So their finite amounts of resources are a lot bigger. But it doesn't mean that they're infinite and they can do everything they want and spend. If that was the case, why bother having budgets? Just say yes, yes, yes to everything that comes along and just spend, spend, spend. So let me ask you this, Ian. What makes anyone think that this deal will be any better or is any better than the one that put U.S. Steel in this predicament a couple of years ago? Well, that's why I think this, in this particular instance, it is shameful. And it's shameful because we know that the industry is in such horrible shape. This is not a theory. This is not an opinion. We've got the data, the hard data. I was on TV Ontario with Steve Pakin about three months ago on this very, very subject. And the Liberal MP from the Sioux was on there. We've got to bail them out. We've got to bail them out. And, and there was another uh, academic from McMaster, a very fine academic, but she was in that same camp. And I said, listen, if the, if the industry is not sustainable, and there is no one that says that the industry as it is now constituted producing the volume it does is sustainable. It's widely acknowledged that they've got to downsize the industry by about half. In other words, shut down about half of the world's steel capacity. So here we are saying let's maintain steel capacity in an industry that everyone agrees cannot be maintained at the current level. So all we're doing is wasting money. With the Bombardier, I want to do a quick compare and contrast. With the Bombardier, an argument can be made, which I'm sympathetic to, nothing to do with Ontario versus Quebec. They're a very advanced company, very high-tech. There's only four aircraft manufacturers on the planet Earth, Boeing, Airbus, Embraer in Brazil, and Bombardier, making commercial airplanes, I'm talking, not military airplanes. And, and, and so they have a, they have a, a you know, they uh, spent a huge amount on R&D to bring the new company, the new plane onto market. So they are really facing a cash flow crunch, they're overextended, but everyone agrees that the plane that they developed was, is world-class, it's passing all its tests, and it's going to be successful once they get over this hump, whereas nobody is making that argument about the steel industry. I mean, there's many steel companies that are bankrupt because the demand has collapsed, and they d- can't justify the volumes. So we are truly squandering and wasting money if we bail out a steel company, whether it's in Canada or the U.K. or India or anywhere else. When will we find out the guts of this deal and if it does involve government uh, and, and to what extent? Well, I do want to clarify what I just said. I really am predicting. Mm-hmm. I have no inside information. But their, their, their offer was so unbelievable that there has got to be government money in the background. I have no evidence of that. It's purely I'm connecting the dots. And their offer is so unbelievably generous. It's so unbelievable, period. And I'm saying, I don't believe that these people are crazy, uh, the man, the runner, the, the executives of this company. And so they know something that you and I don't know. And I suspect that they've been given promises of substantial support. And it's not far-fetched what I'm saying, because the government of Ontario has a very good track record, well-earned, of throwing money at companies. I mean, they throw money at profitable companies, too, by the way, like OpenText, uh, to go and hire people in the tech industry that they were already hiring. So this, this government, the government of Ontario, has shown a, a, a very strong willingness, almost an, an aggressiveness, to throw money at companies, to subsidize them, bail them out, and so forth. So I am not, I will not, I'm, I guess I'm predicting that once uh, in the fullness of time we're going to see that the government of Ontario and probably the government of Canada has been putting some money behind the scenes and backstopping them, whether they take a, quote, investment equity position, like Governor Quebec did in Bombardier, and like Justin Trudeau has said, they're might going to, they probably will do with Bombardier, where instead of just giving them money as a loan, they'll actually buy a share percentage of the company, almost like a crown corporation or a government corporation. But where I'm going with this is I think once the, the fullness, all the news comes out about this transaction, I think we will see government money, big government money, somewhere in the background somewhere. Will this go through? Do you think U.S. Steel will be saved by this? Um, If you mean saved, will it transform it into a viable company? No, I don't. Uh, Because not because the U.S. Steel workers aren't good workers. Not because it's not, you know, Canada isn't a good place to do business. It's because the world conditions, and steel is a world commodity, just like oil, and uh, gold or silver or copper. And the world steel conditions in the 
uh, for the steel industry are simply grim. And that's the word used by, I think it was Deloitte Touche or PricewaterhouseCoopers in their analysis. This industry is in very, very bad shape. Why so, does ArcelorMittal de Fasco seem to be doing well? Um, I'd have to look at that company and where it is. I'm guessing it's because of their, they're in uh, developing countries where the wages are lower. I'm guessing, I'm speculating on this. I, I haven't looked at their company and looked at the financials and the annual report. I mean, remember, um, in, in some countries, uh, uh, let's just talk natural resources writ large, because steel comes from iron ore, and iron ore comes from the ground like other natural resources. It's increasingly difficult to be a company in the natural resource sector in, in developed countries because the environmental standards are getting tougher and tougher and more and more demanding and more and more expensive in both states, Canada, Europe. And, of course, the wages are very high. Uh, whereas if you go to a developing country, uh, the labor standards are, are much lower, the wages are much lower, and, of course, the environmental standards are much lower. I mean, the unions are saying this. <laughs> mm. And it's true, <laughs> you know, that the standards are much lower. So what I'm trying to say is if you're a steel company and you're located in uh, India or China, you're going to have a competitive advantage over a Canadian or American company because your wages are going to be much, much lower, and the environmental standards that you must meet are much, much lower. You're not facing carbon taxes, which you're about to face in Canada. You don't have the minimum wages that we're uh, uh, you know, putting in in Canada in the developing world, where the wages, as, you, as I said, are much, much lower. So what I'm saying is the natural resource sector in a developed country like Canada is, is increasingly difficult. And, uh, and you know, we are most successful in the services sector where the vast majority of Canadians work, everything from healthcare to financial services to education to broadcasting and so forth. And, and so what I'm saying is I, I can't see this deal, this company succeeding in the medium term unless they continue to subsidize it on a permanent basis because when, I don't think it's viable. When will we know the, the fruits of this? When will we see this? Do you think this well, will ever happen? Well, first off, they'll do all the votes, you know, and there'll be, and then I think as, as the, um, oh, and then the days ahead, I don't mean years, I mean in the days and maybe a, two or three weeks or something, we're going to get a lot more information because, you see, this company, I believe it's publicly traded, and uh, the company doing the offer, the buy. Mm -hmm. and, and publicly traded companies must disclose massive amounts of information under Canadian and American and European law. Private companies, privately held, not on a stock exchange, do not have to. They can operate quite sec secretively. But if you're listed on a stock exchange, Toronto, New York, NASDAQ, Frankfurt, London, then you are a publicly traded company. These are the companies my students analyze every term. And the reason I make them choose a publicly traded company is there's massive amounts of information they must disclose by law. So if this is a publicly traded company, and I think it is, then they will be disclosing all kinds of information, whether they want to or not. They will have to, and then we will learn more. But if this is, and I didn't have time because I was just <laughs> coming in the door when you called me, um, uh, and I haven't, didn't, fin didn't finish my, my, my research, my due diligence, but if this is a privately held company, then it's going to be more difficult to obtain or extract uh, information because private companies are not compelled or required to disclose very much. Ian Lee has been with us, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University. Ian, thanks for the time and insight. As always, much appreciated. My pleasure. Thanks. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Uh, I got lots of response from this, lots of email. I have people leave me voice messages uh, and, and such uh, on this and, of course, uh, the presentation that we did. I should start by saying uh, what happened was we received, we came home one night and we had received a message on our voicemail and here is that message. Hi, this is Officer Ryan Smith from Canada Revenue Agency. The reason for the call is to inform you that you are under federal investigation because of the audit which took place on your tax papers. As you are found suspicious, we need you or your lawyer to call us back on 844-551-0596. I repeat, 844-551-0596. Don't try to disregard the message or else it will be taken as an offense from your side. Again, this is Officer Ryan Smith from Revenue Canada. So uh, we received it once and uh, I laughed and I pointed to my wife and kids and I said, that is exactly what we've been talking about on the air for years. That is a fraudulent call of somebody trying to get money from us. 
So I let it go. I didn't think anything of it. And then two or three days later, we get another one. So I'm thinking, all right, that's it. I've had it. So I recorded uh, the message, and you just heard it moments ago. Uh, we then had on a tax lawyer, played the call for them, and said basically the same thing. Yeah, it's a phony call. We actually called the CRA and their communications people, had a chat with them, and they basically said the same thing. Uh, and when we were on the phone after it all, we decided, well, why not give them some of their own mes- uh, medicine? And I actually did call that number back and asked to, and asked to speak with Ryan Smith. Thank you for the call. How can I help you? Is Officer Ryan Smith there, please? All right. Hold the line. <clears throat> we got a hook. We got a bite. You're looking for Ryan Smith? Yes, Officer Ryan Smith. What is your name? Uh, my name is Robert Calvin. <coughs> Robert Calvin. I will check it out, okay? Hold the line. You have left a message on my answering machine? Which number? Your home number? Uh, at 905-645-3221. No, I think you provide me wrong number. Thank you. Hello? <laughs> so then the guy who was threatening me if I didn't act or get my lawyer to act that I'd be put in jail, now hangs up on me and I felt robbed. Wait a sec, I wanna be frauded here. Why have you turned me down? And of course he turned me down because I gave him a fake name because uh, I didn't want to give him my real name in case you know he digs deeper. And I didn't want to give uh, my home phone number, so I gave the station number. He checked those out. That didn't match what he had. So he realized I was a fraudulent caller back and hung up on me. We then called this guy to her. We called him every time we, we've done the bits. We called him at least twice, maybe even three times. And the number was still valid, and we got, we got the same guy. Now, what really ticked me off is I thought this was pretty much over and done with, but then I got another one this time from a different guy with an English accent. And I thought, all right, we got to do something. So, of course, talk talk to the tax lawyer and the the people from the CRA, and they suggested we call the people at the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre. So joining us now is Constable Lynn Donnie, OPP officer with the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre, and on the line with us now. Good afternoon, Lynn. How are you today? Good. How are you? Fine, thanks. Uh, thanks for taking the time to join us. What are your thoughts on this call? Yeah, thanks for uh, inviting me. Um, yeah, it is a very typical call. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people um, get caught with these or, or get harassed by these calls, I guess. Uh, they use different names. Uh, they sometimes say the CRA or they sometimes will pretend that they're from a police agency or with the government or even immigration. Uh, they'll use different numbers. They spoof their numbers to make it look sometimes like they are on your caller ID, mm. uh, it'll look like the actual real number from CRA or from your local police. Um, they're, they're, they're tricksters. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, the only thing is, I mean, we're, we're working with law enforcement. We're not an investigative body, uh, but we support investigations. Uh, and I can tell you that there are open investigations into this scam, um, and there are things being done. Uh, so, but you know, few and far in between sometimes because people are still getting these calls. I can't believe when I brought this to air and, and played the call, how many, how much response I got. I mean, via email, telephone, uh, there's, there's been a lot of people affected by these. Yes. Yeah. A lot of people are sending a lot of money in, uh, and, and some people just, you know, are scared. They get the call and they think, oh my goodness, I got to do it now. And when they give you that call, they, they, I mean, they give that sense of urgency, so it doesn't give people, people feel like they don't have time to, you know, call a relative or, or call the police or call someone else to see if it really is true. They feel like they have to do it right now. Uh, but people need to know that they, they don't have to take immediate action. They, o- they always should just hang up and verify themselves. So not call the actual number that called them mm. or the call to that, you know, the number that they say to call back but you call the local office in your area or call your local police or call even a family member. Um, Just doing that most of the time will save you a lot of money. You know, you bring up a very valid point, Lynn, because all I did when I, and I called them back twice on the air, (laughs) trying to get them on, just similar to what you heard. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you seem to question them in any way, they don't want anything to do with you. Exactly. 
So it's not like they're sort of baiting you hook, line, and sinker. They seem to know who they will get and who they won't get. Is that correct? Uh, for the most part, yes. But I still don't recommend if you if you start questioning and they seem and you think, oh no, they're legit. Yeah. Some will do their homework and have you know the right answers. Um, so you want to make sure that you hang up. You do your own homework. You know, call the the legitimate CRA office or the local police, whatever it is. Uh, you make your homework. You know, find the number online or or on in your phone book if, if people still have those. Uh, and uh, don't call the number that they tell you to call. Hmm. Call the one that you know is real. Then go from there. So give us an idea how big this problem is. Uh, any yeah. numbers or, or, or what sort of calls or complaints do you get most often? Well, I can tell you that it's the most popular call that we're getting here at the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre. Uh, and uh, just to give you some, some uh, stats, I guess. So 2014 is when we started um, receiving some of these calls from complainants. Uh, and uh, we recorded a, about a loss of just over three hundred thousand mm. dollars. Twenty fifteen, uh, there was a loss of two point five million, and up to date, so up to well, up to August fourth of this year, we're at uh, another two point five million dollars. So we're going to surpass last year's numbers. Wow! So and that's only what's been reported to our center. So there are people out there that either don't know that they've been victimized. Uh, or too embarrassed or don't want to tell their spouse, whatever reason, right? Well, Everybody you, reports. you bring up a, a valid point because I think a lot of people are, 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 are just too embarrassed to, to, to make a complaint. We had one caller that phoned in that said they got built for $12,000 worth of gift cards. Yes, and that's another thing as well. Um, uh, they're, they're looking at like new ways of getting money. So it started with uh, money pack, prepaid cards, then mm-hmm. it went to direct uh, bank accounts, deposits, and uh, now they're, they're doing these iTunes cards. Right. And lately, just um, the past couple weeks, we've had callers saying that uh, when the scammers, they're calling people, telling them they're the CRA, you owe money, they're asking, so the CRA, the scammers, are asking for uh, people's bank account information, so their debit card number, et cetera, to deposit money into their bank account. So, which people will think, oh, okay, they want my information so that they can give me the money. Mm. But it's actually the other way around. They're asking your banking information, you know, to get to get into your bank account. So don't give any of your banking info out. And the CR the CRA was very uh, vocal about that. They said that we will not, you know, demand money from you that way. It, it takes a, quite a process for it to get to that point. Exactly. And even if it is urgent, it's never that urgent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very. But they do sound convincing. I mean, even the call that I had at one point, I'm thinking, well, I've got three. Maybe it is me. Maybe maybe I am doing something wrong here. Exactly. And they don't stop. And the thing too is, if if they know that you know you answered and and you are Mister Whoever that they were looking yeah. for. Uh, they'll keep calling, yeah. So, and they'll they'll change their numbers, and they'll change their names, and sometimes they'll even change the scam to make it you know something else. Uh, but it's uh, it's a pain, but it happens. What's the purpose of the Canadian uh, fra- the Canadian Anti Fraud Center? What's your objective? What are you trying to do with this? You're you're just collecting information, is that correct? Yeah. So what we are is we're a partnership between the OPP, the RCMP, and the Competition Bureau of Canada. Uh, we're a national call center for mass marketing fraud uh, and identity theft. So uh, what we do is we gather and, and share intelligence. Mm-hmm. Uh, we provide education and awareness. Uh, we also prepare investigative packages for law enforcement. So we'll help, like with this, um, with the CRA scam, tax scam. Uh, we prepared all the stats. We prepared all the complaints, and we fed that through the investigation uh, investigative team. And so they're using some of our stuff and, and some of the information that, you know, victims have called. And even people who weren't victimized but who just kept getting those calls right. would call us and say, hey, today it was Mr. Eric Foster that called from whatever number. Mm-hmm. So we gather all that info and its intelligence that's then shared uh, with the investigative bodies. We also do, we also have a disruption program um, where we disrupt the tools of the scammer. So... Uh, we work. We actively work with um, private partners, so service providers like uh, uh, telephone companies, uh, email providers, uh, websites that we believe are linked to, um, or that's reported to us that it's linked to any kind of fraud, uh, to disrupt them. So it's important that people do call or report fraud, even if it is an attempt, even if they didn't lose money, uh, to call us and give us that information because it does help. And what is your number again? 
Yeah, so people can do can contact us uh, two ways. So they can contact us online, www.antifraudcenter.ca, and uh, the center in Antifraud Center is C E N T R E, or the phone number is one eight 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 four nine five eight five zero one. And that's during business hours during the week. Uh, can you get these people? I mean, do they? We hear so many things like they're in places all over the world, all around the world. I mean, what's the chance of getting these people? Yeah, so we do have international partnerships. Uh, we do deal with law enforcement um, all over the world, uh, and we deal. We do share that information as well through Interpol. Um, you know, all over the world as well. There are arrests being made. Um, there are investigations being done in these scams, uh, but like anywhere else. It seems like there's more of them than us. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there is being there is work being done, uh, and information is being shared. Is are these people from the same place? Is there a certain area where this comes from more? Are they are they in country? Are they out of country? Do we know? Um, yeah. There's. Um, I mean, not to give out too much from the investigation, but uh, there. I mean, when it comes to these scams. Uh, a lot of it does come from outside of the country, comes from other countries. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like their safe haven, right? Because they figure if they're from another country, it's easier to do. Uh, but there are people in as well. So that's why it's important to share the information and for people to call in. Uh, do, you talked about them more of them than us. Do they seem to be one step ahead? Uh, technology, is that helping us in any way? This is obviously something that has been spawned through technology. Does that help us in tracking it in any way? Yeah, uh, I think it helps. Uh, in a way, I guess it helps them mask themselves, you know, by mm-hmm. spoofing the numbers and stuff like that and, and their IP addresses and whatever else. Uh, but it also helps us um, with trying to track them down as well. Uh, the internet and technology today uh, makes it so there's no borders. <laughs> mm. uh, what sort of tips do you have for people who may be getting these sorts of calls? And, and you know, we were over them with the CRA and the tax lawyer, but once again, it seems that we need to reinforce this. What are some obvious things we should be looking for? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, someone calling a message and telling you it's very urgent when you've never even received a letter or, you know, you know that you've submitted your tax um, uh, stuff on time, you know, that's a big red flag. Uh, Also, um, if government officials will not contact you directly or demand any money in exchange for, like, securing your Canadian status, because some of them were were getting threatened that they were going to get deported if they didn't pay. Mm. Um, uh, Wow. Holy smokes. The Canadian government does not accept uh, any kind of payment via, like, Western Union or iTunes cards or MoneyGram, prepaid Mm. credit cards, stuff like that. Um, also, you don't have to take, like I said before, you don't have to take immediate action. Verify that what you're being told is actually, actually true with the real government officials that are, you know, apparently calling you. Uh, ask yourself why a government official would be asking you to send copies of your personal documents or stuff like that when they already have that on file. Hmm. Um, always, uh, you know, regardless of who's calling you or who they claim to be, if someone calls you, never divulge your personal information over the phone. If you call them, I mean, and you know you're calling the CRA and they're asking to verify information, that's different than Mm. if they call, you know, if apparently the CRA calls you and asking you for all this. And you bring up a valid point. Don't use their numbers. Use, you know, go to uh, the Internet or wherever and find what actual numbers are and call those as opposed to something they've given you. Exactly. Are we making a dent? You know what? <laughs> I, I hope we are. I think we are, and I think we will. Uh, but, and I think that the numbers are so high now that we're receiving is just because we've been pretty vocal with law enforcement as well, um, spreading a word and saying, you know, call us, you know, call the Canadian Anti-Fraud mm-hmm. Centre, give us uh, the information that, that, you know, they're leaving on your voicemail, et cetera. So I think just because people are more aware of us and the CRA and other people too are also um, sharing our, our contact information. So I think that's why, partly why our numbers are so high, because it's so popular and it's out there and well, people like you guys as well right are talking about it so which is good i think well you know it's like the door-to-door scammers that were going around a while ago it just exactly. it seems to be one of those things that it's affecting a lot of people and and obviously if it's affecting not a lot of people there's a lot of crime going on exactly yeah no there's I certainly no shortage of stories that's for sure <laughs> no what about convictions are there many convictions for this sort of thing uh, that I know, 
I think everything is still um, in the initial stages. Yeah. So when it comes to like the CRA extortion scam, uh, the investigation is still ongoing. I do believe that there has been some arrests, uh, but when it comes to actual convictions or in court, that takes time. So yeah. I don't think we're there yet. Because this has only been set up for a couple of years, correct? Well, the investigation is fairly new, but the scam itself has been around for... Right. Yeah. And have you heard the name uh, Officer Ryan Smith before at 844 Yes, and when I was listening to the recording, I ran that number through a database. And, See, I uh, was going to say, do I have to give it to you? But no, you being the police officer you are, you're already ahead of me. <laughs> So we've had over 100 complaints just with that number. Really? Yeah, we have 118 complaints with that number. So there's further proof that even if you get one of these, you should call the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre to report it. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you're you're lucky you didn't send any money, but in in the calls that that we have here, there's not too many, but there are victims. I'm scrolling through, and most of them are attempts, but there are some victims, which means that people lost money to the actual call that you received. Wow, that's incredible. What surprised me, too, uh, Lynn, was that, you know, I did this over the course of a week, and I kept calling the number back, and it was still open. You'd think once they got one that realized that something's going on, they might change it, but they they didn't seem to change it. They won't change it until we close it down. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And are you in the process of closing this one down? So this one, we haven't received any more complaints um, since July 18th, and it is on the list. So, And that would have been about the time that I got the call. Yeah, and that's when most of the calls came in, or, or beginning mid-July. So, it, um, so when you think about it, you know, 118 complaints were called to us about this number between July 7th and July 18th. Holy smokes. Yeah, but, um, but like I said, like the, what we do is we partner with, you know, the service providers. So we give them a list of numbers and say, hey, these numbers are linked to these kinds of frauds. Mm. You know, what can you do about it? But it's up to them to do their internal. Like, we're not the ones actually, you know, shutting down the telephone number, right? You're supplying the information. Yeah, so it's all about um, information sharing and just partnerships into trying to crack down on these frauds. Does anything surprise you about this stuff, Lynn, anymore? (laughs) Um, There's always new stories. (laughs) It kind of, what surprises me is, is, you know, their persistence. Yeah, yeah. Like, honestly, I've received three calls after they've got nothing. Yeah. It never ends. All right. uh, Once again, uh, antifraudcenter.ca. That's antifraudcenter.ca. And uh, 888-495-8501 is the number to call if you want to report something. Constable Lynn uh, Donnie has been with us, OPP officer with the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre. Lynn, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. So there you go. Man, I can't believe that. And just in that same period when I received mine, which was the first couple of weeks of July anyway, uh, they received 118 to the same number. Because Lynn was writing down the number as we were replaying the call again. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.